Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today we're going to continue our series, Multiply, Disciples Making Disciples. And today I want to talk about the values of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And specifically and particularly, I want to define what a disciple is. Uh, One thing I want you to be able to know before we're done today is you'll know what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. Um, I love reading about disciple making. Um, I love reading books about it. I've been to conferences about it. It's what the Great Commission is about, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, Bill Hull, he's like the guru when it comes to disciple making and discipleship. He's even wrote a book about it. And he says this, he says, The crisis at the heart of the church is a crisis of product. What kind of person does the church produce? The Christ-commanded product is a person called a disciple. Christ commanded His church to make disciples. But that is a crisis in the church today. If you've been paying attention for the past uh, quite a few years, the researchers that research American Christianity will tell you that when you look at surveys and when you look at stats, that the lifestyle of those in church compared to those that are not in church are kind of similar. And I say that to our shame. I'm not saying that to us specifically, but when you look at the big picture nationally, the church in America, that seems to be the case. And Bill Hall is right that the crisis at the heart of the church It's the crisis of product. What kind of people are we? You know, when you go to a factory and they make widgets, you can say there's the widgets. And they have this process and they have quality control and they examine them and they make sure that before they ship them that they've passed the inspection. But when it comes to being a child of God, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that look like? Is it just somebody that comes to church on Sunday, prays every once in a while, knows how to talk in church? Is that, is that really what we're looking for? And let's be honest, many times, and we learned this during COVID a few years ago when COVID happened, that you know, we expected Christians to meet together and we measure things by you know, attendance, buildings, and cash. That's a lot of times how church leaders look at it. But that's That's not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the kind of person you are, the person that you are outside these walls. What does that look like? And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says make disciples. We're talking about people that trust and follow Jesus Christ. And they've been saved and they've been changed. And that's what God has called us to do. And that's the kind of person that the church is supposed to produce by sharing the gospel. And uh, Robbie Galate, a uh, pastor uh, in Tennessee that I love, he says this. He says, when God determines the maturity of a church, he doesn't count the Christians. He weighs them. And the weight is measured by how deeply his teaching has penetrated into a person's life. Think about that for a minute. When God wants to look at the maturity of a church, he doesn't count them and say, how many did they have today? A hundred? 
150, 200 plus. He, he weighs them. He weighs each believer individually to see how much the Word of God and the Spirit of God has penetrated their life. And they're a different person. Okay? Now, today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And I want us to go to Matthew 4.19 because I believe the best way to define this term is to use Scripture. And uh, I agree with um, uh, Jim Putnam that the best way to define a disciple is using Scripture and the, the definition is found in the invitation. Look at Matthew 4.19. Um, Jesus talks to Peter. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. And he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. That's the Christian standard version. Many of you heard growing up the King James, which says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And from that moment on, Peter, James, and John, who were fishermen, left their nets behind, left all they knew. And for the next three years or so, they followed Jesus. Okay? Now, in that invitation is the definition of a disciple. And there's three parts. He said, follow me. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone that follows Jesus. Okay? I'm just making it as plain and as simple as I know how to make it. So a disciple of Jesus is someone that says, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to pattern my life after him. I'm going to do what he did. Okay? Then the second part of that invitation, which is part of the definition of a disciple, he says, follow me and I will make you. What does that mean? That means from the very moment that you trust and follow Jesus, You'll never stay the same. Think about that. That's why when we sing that wonderful hymn about amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When you come to Jesus Christ, you may come unclean, but when you come to Him, He cleans you up and you're a new person. The old is gone, the new has come, and you'll never be the same. And I say that uh, with a smile because... That's the way it's supposed to be, okay? That's the way it's supposed to be. And so the second part of a definition of disciple of Jesus Christ is someone that's being changed by Jesus, okay? When he says, follow me and I will make you, that means that you are now, you are now constantly, continually being in, uh, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The chief objective that God has for your life, now that you've come to trust and follow Him, is He wants to take the rest of your days on this earth and make you more like Jesus. And that means that you and I are going to be changed, and He's going to make us look like Him. We are being changed by Jesus. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. The word that theologians use is sanctification. But we are being changed to be more and more like Jesus in our everyday life. The third part of the definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be a fisher of men. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. See, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ not only 
follows Jesus, and he's being, he and she is being changed by Jesus, but they are committed to the mission of Jesus. Okay? Jesus' final words were, you know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. He, he gave them five different commissions. There's one in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in the book of Acts. His final words were preach the gospel to every creature. His final words were to make disciples of all nations. And so he wants us to be committed to his mission. And so a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone that follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. It's all three of those things. Okay, anything less is not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I like what Jim Putnam says. The definition of a disciple is given in the invitation to be a disciple. He goes on to say that disciples are made when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God work together. Now, let me put out a little quick uh, advertisement for you. I will wrap up this series next week. And I was sharing this with Devin earlier this past week. I want to do something different next week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out now. And to those who have ears, let them hear, okay? Next week, I'm going to talk about the practices of making a disciple. I'm going to talk about disciple groups. And so I'm asking you now to pray. If you're in a disciple group, okay, I want you to pray, and next week, if you feel led, I'm going to have open mic testimony, okay? I'll do, it, uh, I'll do it before I preach, and you don't have to go into anything long or drawn out, but just answer the question, you know, what does being in a disciple group mean to you? What, what, has, what have you gotten out of it, okay? And I'll have as many that want to share come right here and share, and then after that, I'll preach. So I'm throwing that out there now as an invite, okay? But back to, the, back to the message, okay? Disciples are made when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God work together. And that's why I'm so passionate about disciple groups because those three things come together. But today I want to simply focus on what is a disciple? Someone that follows Jesus. Someone that's being changed by Jesus. Someone that's committed to the mission of Jesus. And what does that actually look like? So let's take a few moments to answer that question. What are the values of a disciple of Jesus Christ? I've got four I'm going to share with you from God's Word. Number one, the value of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to love the Lord more than anyone or anything. Now, I understand that's a tall order, but I want you to look at the Scriptures in Luke 14. And then after that, I'll go to uh, Matthew 10. I forgot to include one. But let's look at Luke 14 first. In Luke 14, Jesus said, in verse 25, says, Great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, and this is what Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when you first hear that, you're like, what? 
You want me to hate my parents and my spouse and my kids and my siblings? You want me to hate myself or I can't be your disciple? That's crazy talk, right? That's what we would say. But he's using hyperbole here. I'll prove it in a moment, but let's, let's keep reading. He says in verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That means you have to die to yourself. Then in verse 28, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, Every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now notice here in verse 26, 27, and 33, Jesus says one, two, three times, here's a condition, if you don't meet it, you cannot be my disciple. And this is Jesus talking. You're hearing it from the source, right? And what what are the conditions? Jesus says, if you don't love me more than your parents, your spouse, your siblings, and yourself, if you aren't willing to bear your own cross and follow me, if you're not willing to renounce all your possessions, in other words, if you don't love me more than anyone or anything, you can't be my disciple. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I demand absolute Surrender and commitment. Absolute. Now, let's kind of back up a little bit and go, can he say that? And the short answer is, yes, he can. You know why? Because he's the Messiah. He's Christ. He's the Lord. Okay? Now, then you got to say, well, is that realistic for him to say that? Because you look around today and go, how many people are really committed to, to the Lord like that? Well, before we get into that, I think we got to step back and look at the big, big picture. Here's the big picture. When you realize how much God loves you, when you realize what He has done for you, let, let me tell you a story. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus went to a man's house. It was a Pharisee, a religious man. And while He was there, this woman came with tears and began to wipe and wash Jesus' feet. And as you read that story in the Gospels, it makes the religious man, the Pharisee, very uncomfortable, you know? And in his mind, he's thinking, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not let her do that. And Jesus, being the Lord, he kind of knows what, in, it, what is in this guy's heart. He can read the room. He can read the guy's face. And he says, uh, hey, let me tell you a story about two people that were forgiven. And one had a larger debt and one had a smaller debt. He says, which one do you think loved more? And the religious person said, well, the one with a greater debt. And then Jesus connects the dots. I come in your house. You didn't do anything. You didn't welcome me. You didn't serve me. But ever since I've been here, this woman's been wiping 
my feet with her tears and her hair. And he basically says, those that are forgiven much, love much. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Again, go back to the big picture. When you realize how much God loves you, when you realize that you and I are sinners doomed to a devil's hell, and when we realize that Jesus came, He lived the life that you and I should have lived, He died the death that we deserve, He took our place on the cross, He took the punishment that we deserve upon Himself, and He loves me that much that He did it for me, and He did it for you. When you realize how much you've been forgiven, then you begin to love God a whole lot. And when you begin to love God a whole lot, you begin to love Him more than anyone or anything. I'll never forget being a freshman in college. And we had this preacher come in to do a revival. And boy, he, he shucked the corn, as they say. All right? And he was in the Old Testament of all places. And he was talking about the Ten Commandments. And the very first one, the very first of the Ten Commandments, Thou shall have no other gods before me. You see, the God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. Even back then, he was saying, I want it all. I made you. I created you. I loved you. And now I've sent my son to die on that cross to save you. I, I want all of your life, not just a part of it, not just one day a week. I want all. I want all. What does the greatest commandment say? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with every fiber of your being. One person said it best. What is the gospel? It's to give all that we are for all that He is. Think about that. All that we are for all. All that He is, that's the gospel according to Jesus. And I'm telling you, when we hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on that cross to save us, and He paid that debt, and look how much we've been forgiven. Those that are forgiven much, love much. And once we realize what Christ did for me and you, and it's real and it's personal, and we receive that into our heart, then we have a love for God that's unmatched. We know that we love Him because He first loved us. And we love Him with every fiber of our being. And we love Him more than anyone or anything. And let me tell you, when, when He gets preeminence, when He gets first place, when He gets everything, then that's when you really understand what it means to love, you know, your, your spouse, your parents, your children, your siblings, and so on. Why? Because when He is our first love, okay, and remember the church in, in um, Ephesus and in, in the book of Revelation? Where did they go wrong? When they left their first love. When you read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul talks about hard times are going to come in the last days and people are going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and they're going to be lovers of this, that, and the other. It's a long laundry list, but if you look at that list, there's a few words in there where it says love, 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 but it's loving all the wrong things. But when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you love the Lord more than anyone or anything. He's first place. He's number one. And that's it. 
Now, I did say that that was hyperbole when he said you've got to hate your own father and mother, wife and kids. Let me address that real quick. Turn to Matthew 10. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 10 that he said in Luke 14. But in Luke 14, it's said in a negative way unless you uh, hate your mother and father and your, your children and your sibling and all this. Um, then you cannot be my disciple. That's a negative way of saying it. Here's the positive way of saying it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, says Jesus. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loves or loses his life because of me will find it. So again, that's the same thing in a positive way. So that's why I say, do you love God more than anyone or anything? Now, Abraham, whew, let's go there for a minute, okay? Abraham, Father Abraham, and we talk about his faith. And because of his faith, it was credited him as righteousness. And he's a picture of what it looks like to, to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham, all of his hopes, all of his dreams, his future lineage and his family were all wrapped up in this promised child that God said he would have, which was Isaac. And the day came in Genesis 22 where the Bible says that God tested Abraham and he said, hey, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And that sounds unthinkable, doesn't it? And as you read that account, there's no debate there's no arguing. There's no, what did you just say, God? Abraham simply gets up the very next day with his son Isaac, and they go with two servants. And as they get close to a mountain, he tells the servants, you stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up on the mountain. We're going to worship, and we will be back. That was faith talking. Because God told Abraham, go up there and sacrifice your son, which means, you know, kill him. And all the nations back then had some strange practices that, you know, the, the pagans would have went, ah, so your God does that too. But stick with me. Abraham goes up the mountain and uh, Isaac's like, Dad, we've got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, Abraham says, Isaac, the Lord will provide. And when they get up on the top of that mountain, Abraham binds his son. Uh, commentators think that he probably would have been a, a, a young teenager. He certainly could have been enough to give Abraham all he handled if he fought him. But he bound his son on an altar. And he had the knife up like this. And then God says, Abraham, Abraham. And he tells him, stop, don't do it. And there's a ram caught in the thicket with its horns. And the Lord provides a ram. And you might say, what is going on there? I think God is teaching Abraham 
what it means to live by faith, to trust God, and to love God more than anyone or anything. Um, many times we love our parents, we love our kids, we love our spouses more than we love God. And I think God will say, you need to put that on the altar and love me first. You need to love me more. Okay? And here's the thing. God is such an awesome God that when we love Him first, that's when we're really able to love others the way we should. Okay? I know that sounds weird to our human brain, but when you look at Scripture, it, it all makes sense. But here's the thing. God is a perfect God. God would not ask us to do something that He hasn't done Himself. And I, if I ever find this someday, I'm going to get it. I saw it years and years ago, and I just didn't get it, Devin. But it was this beautiful picture, and it had Abraham with Isaac on the altar in that moment, right? When he's willing to do what God told him to do, and God says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And in the very background of this picture is the cross at Calvary and the crown of thorns. What does that mean? Before the foundation of the world, God knew that He would send His Son. And He was willing to send His Son, His one and only begotten Son, whom He loves, to come into this world and die a cruel death on a Roman cross, a criminal's death, even though He didn't do anything wrong. And He did it for you and you and you. Man, I want to tell you, when we realize that, that's the kind of God that we serve. I'd love to talk more about that, but I've got to go on, so we will. So the first value of disciple of Jesus Christ is someone that loves the Lord more than anyone or anything. A second value of disciple of Jesus Christ is they put the Word of God into practice. Now I'm going to jump to John, the Gospel of John, and I want us to look at three quick passages that specifically say, here's what a disciple is or does. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He says to the Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in My Word, you really are My disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, what, what is so intriguing about what Jesus is saying here, every one of these statements that I'm sharing with you today he either says, if you don't do this, you can't, be my, you can't be my disciple. If you don't love me more than, then you're not worthy of me. Okay, in other words, I'm not worth very much. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Okay, and now he says, if you do this, you really are my disciple. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you continue in the Word, that means you make it a habit. You make it a practice to, to read the Word of God and put it into practice. If we really love God, then we see this book called the Bible as a big love letter from, from God to us. And we read it because we love Him and we want to learn more about what pleases Him and we want to live in His will and we want to experience His ways. And so that's why we continue in the Word of God. Okay? So, so important. 
the next value of a disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about loving the Lord more than anyone or anything. Putting the Word of God into practice. And number three, loving people with the love of Christ. Now that's very important. Let's read and I'll show you why. John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I have to back up for a minute. And in John 8, you could say, how do I know if I'm a disciple? Because I continue in the Word of God and I put it into practice. That's how I know I'm a disciple. But how do other people know that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? By the way I love them. And Jesus says something here in John 13. He says, I give you a new command, love one another. And yet, if you know your Bible, you'll know that loving one another is not a new command. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament law. Loving one another is not a new command. But when Jesus said a new command, I give you love one another, He qualified it, and that made it a new command. In the past, it was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. But now Jesus is raising the bar and say, I don't want you to love people the way you love yourself. I want you to love people the way I love you. Wow, that's the new part of the command, okay? It's still loving people, but he's raised the bar to say, I want you to love others the way I love you. Get the picture. And so that is what a disciple does. A disciple of Christ loves people with the love of Christ. And that's how other people know that you're a disciple of Jesus, according to John 13, 34, and 35. And then there's one more, the fourth one. What are the values of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Love the Lord more than anyone or anything. Put the Word of God into practice. Love people with the love of Christ. And number four, produce spiritual fruit. There in John 15, he's going to say it one more time. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciple. How do I know that I'm a disciple? Because I'm continuing in the word and putting it into practice. How do other people know that I'm a disciple? Because I love them with the love of Jesus Christ. I love them the way he's loved me. But how do I prove I mean, just absolute ironclad proof. What evidence can I submit to prove that I am a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? Spiritual fruit. And I will look at that in two ways. First of all, what He's done in me. The fruit of the Spirit, right? That's something that only He can do. It's a work of God on the inside. Uh, he, he has... He has Save me. He's changing me. He's making me more like Jesus each and every day. And the fruit of the Spirit, you know, I could rattle it all off, but I don't trust my memory as much as I used to. <laughs> but, but He does it on the inside, right? The love, the joy, the peace, all that. But also, not only what He does in us, but I'm talking about the fruit that, that remains because of what He's done through us. Okay, When God begins to do a work in your life, 
He doesn't stop with just doing a work in you. He wants to do a work through you. He's calling you to be a servant in the church. He's calling you to be a witness in the world. He wants to use you to point other people to Jesus Christ. And when you begin to do that, then the proof is in the pudding. You see the evidence. You see the work of God in someone's life. The fruit is there, and that fruit will remain. It'll last. And so... How do you prove that you're a disciple? Spiritual fruit that can be seen in your character and also in your conduct. What an amazing thing. But that's the values of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So today, let's go back to the beginning. And I want to share it one last time. What is a disciple? It's someone that follows Jesus that's being changed by Jesus, and they're committed to the mission of Jesus. It's Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. That's the definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And my question today is this. Can you say that you are a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you go back and look at the New Testament, They weren't called Christians. And the word Christian in the New Testament, believe it or not, it's only mentioned three times. Three. They were called believers. They were called disciples. But only three times were they called Christians. And when it first came up, it was a term of insult. Oh, you're like little Christ. I guess you're just Christians. It wasn't a sentimental term at all. It wasn't a term of endearment. It was a term to try to criticize uh, the, the early church and believers of Jesus. They originally were known followers of the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? But a disciple, think about it. A disciple is someone that is committed. And right now, I believe that God's calling all of us to make that commitment. To make that commitment and say, Lord... I love you more than anyone or anything. You know, if you think about it, one of these days when we get to the end of our life, and I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but your life, when you get to the very end and you look back, it's going to be summed up by the things you loved. And I'm here to ask you, what are you going to love more? The Lord or something or someone else? I want to tell you, when you love God more than anyone or anything, it's because you realized how good He is, how gracious He is, an awesome God that sent His Son to die to save us. And those that are much forgiven love much. That doesn't mean you got to do a lot of bad stuff to be forgiven more and love God more. It just means that when you realize how good He is and what He's done for you, when it really grips your heart and you go, oh my gosh, God loves me so much, He would do that for me. Yes, He would do that for you, and He would do that for me. And when that grips your heart, then that produces a love and a gratitude because you say yes to Jesus, and you never get over it. And I don't want to get over it. And I hope you don't either. And so today I want to, I want to extend an invitation to you. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to let Him make you into the person He wants you to be? Are you willing to be a fisher of men?
It's my prayer that you'll say yes to him. That you'll love him more than anyone or anything. That you'll put his word into practice. That you'll love other people the way he's loved you. And that you'll produce spiritual fruit that proves you are a follower of Jesus. Let's all stand. Musicians and ushers, if you come, we're going to have a time of uh, response and a time of invitation. And it's my prayer that you will say yes to Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for this message from the Word. Lord, I pray that it stirs us. Lord, I pray that it challenges us. Lord, I pray that when we come to the foot of a bloodstained cross and we realize how much you loved us and how much you, you sacrificed and you gave it all for us, that, Lord, in turn, we would say, Lord, we want to give all that we have for all that you are because that's the gospel. And, Lord, we love you because you first loved us and we love you more than anyone or anything. We put your word into practice. We love others the way you loved us. And Lord, we produce that spiritual fruit because your spirit is at work in our lives. And Lord, we know that we're a disciple. We show to others that we're a disciple. And because of the fruit of the spirit and the work of the spirit through our lives, Lord, we prove, we prove that we're a follower of Jesus. Lord, if we know it, we're surely going to show it. Father, have your will and your way in this service and in this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As the musicians play, uh, play softly, our ushers are going to collect right now. And if you have that next step card, this is the perfect time to drop that in and let us know. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate whatever next steps that you're going to take in your life. If you feel led to give, you can also put that in the plate as well. But we just want to challenge you to respond to God, okay? We've sought the Lord through praise and through prayer. We've heard, the God, we've heard from God through His Word. And now He's saying, I want you to respond to me, okay? I love what uh, one, one preacher said years ago. He said, you watch these tele-evangelists uh, tele on TV, and they're always telling you to do something in order to, to get God's attention. And he said, I've read the Bible and I've preached through it three or four times. And he says, here's the big idea. He says, God has spoken and God has already done something. And now he's waiting for us to respond to him. Think about that. God has spoken through his word. God has spoken through his son. And he's done everything that is necessary for you and I to be saved. He died on that cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose on the third day and he's ascended to heaven and one day he's coming back and he is offering the gift of eternal life to you, 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 and you. He's spoken and he's already done it all and now he's saying, here it is. Won't you come to me? Won't you come? Won't you come? This invitation is a, is a call and a plea for you to come to Jesus. Father, we come before you right now Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time to hear your word. Thank you for this invitation. And Father, I pray, have your will and your way in every heart and every home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.